0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Mary Jesse, CEO of Mobile Technologies, Inc., or MTI. Mary is an American technology and media pioneer, having led early work on several groundbreaking innovations and in influential technologies in the late 20th and early 21st centuries. Mary is a proven business executive, strategist, and inventor in wireless and immersive media, with over 30 years of business leadership experience. She uniquely combines deep technical comprehension with business acumen to drive strategy and long-term vision and leads execution to deliver substantial value. She values integrity, company culture, sustainability, and diversity as key factors of success. She has served both in the C-suite and as a board director, consultant, and advisor for privately held and publicly traded companies, from early-stage startups to Fortune 500 across a variety of industries. She holds both bachelor's and master's degree in electrical engineering and holds 19 technology-related patents. Mary is a frequent advisor, speaker, and writer on technology, innovation, and diversity, and is passionate about supporting underserved populations in STEM, technology, and business. Mary Jesse, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Great to have you here. I know we spoke a few weeks ago and just so excited to have you here. And, you know, obviously you've got such a unique background, having become an engineer uh, so early in your career, having worked. (laughs) In pretty much a male-dominated industry for most of it. And of course, so few women at the CEO of middle market companies. So I know we always get a spike in least listenership and all the women that are out there listening today, I'm sure are waited with bated breath to hear about your career. So welcome. Thank you. Let's get started uh, in the early days. And we always kind of kick it off with uh, you know, what your early life was like. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, your family, mom and dad, brothers and sisters.
1: Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Bay Area in San Jose. I feel like right. I was one of the few people that actually was born and raised in, you know, Silicon Valley before yeah. it was Silicon Valley. Yeah, uh, actually, right. And, um, y- you know, kind of watched that transformation. And in fact, it was when it became Silicon Valley that my my parents wanted to leave because it, it kind of lost its original right. uh, feeling. A lot when of fruit
0: grew- orchards and stuff, right? Yeah. Wasn't it a, pretty much a farming area? For the yeah, most part?
1: There was, uh, fruit orchards and, you know, behind us and a dairy and we would drive through. I would go with my dad and we would drive through and pick up, you know, bottles of milk at the dairy. <laughs> wow. and, okay. you know, it was just those are great memories. And and it, it, like there's no sign of that, of course, now it, it just exploded. Um, right. It'll right. be in Silicon Valley, and it continues to be a very popular place for people to live. Um, and my, you know, I have two sisters and a brother, but they were quite a bit older than me, so right. I was a little right. bit like an only child right. Um, right. with my parents. So I did a lot of things with just me and my parents, and and my dad was very influential in my life. He had one job essentially in his wow. in his life, and that was to. Uh, work at NASA after he graduated with an electrical engineering degree. So he oh, truly was nice. a rocket scientist, and yeah, yeah, cool. you know, it, in those uh, at that time, I, I mean, when there was an event, you know, a launch of a rocket into space, I mean, it was it took the nation. Um, attention you know people would watch on tv TV. yeah Yeah, i mean it was exciting and and for me it was particularly exciting because my dad was usually a part of it i mean he'd fly down he'd be in those rooms you know where uh that you see on tv where they're talking to the astronauts and missing control yeah it was really an exciting um part of my childhood and
0: uh, no, was, was he with NASA at yeah. a location in the Bay Area then, or did he commute? Or
1: yeah, he was actually with Ames Research Center that Ames. whole time, which was on the NASA Moffat Field campus, and right. so he, yeah, he he worked he worked at Moffett Field for his entire career.
0: Cool, cool. What about mom? Yeah.
1: Um, my what mom you know? was, you know, she was a kind of a free spirited, uh, you know really interesting person that was always learning and studying and, you know, she participated in the schools and she had different jobs and, you know, just a really cool, positive person. They were yeah. really kind of opposites, right? She was just this, you know, complete free spirit and he was just your very serious, quiet engineer, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they were, yeah, yeah, yeah complete. Yeah, yeah. and, and I can feel <laughs> myself at times on my dad, at times on my mom. I've got definitely right. the mix of both of them in me.
0: That's so cool. What were some of the early memories that you have, you know, and the influences? Maybe things they said or behavior that you observed growing up?
1: Well, there's, you know, one thing that is a really strong memory is – is that when I was young and it was, I think it was in the evening, um, my dad took me to, to his work and he sort of Uh toured me around, you know, Moffat field and, and the big hangars, and, you know, in his office. And it was just, it it was just me and him and, and walking through and I can remember him uh, walking me into this one room that was maybe the size of of my office now or something. And, and it was filled with computers. Right. Mm. and, and to think back on that, you know, my They phone, probably had
0: the computing power of about of our laptops today, right? Oh,
1: not even that. I mean, <laughs> my have? phone's probably more powerful than multiple <laughs> of those rooms. I mean, but it was, it was just fascinating, you know, seeing all these yeah. machines and, you know, seeing the big hangar and just, I I don't know. I guess it being exposed to things when you're young, it yeah. really can have a big impact. And sure. I tried to, uh, with my children, I tried to just not force them to do anything, but just let them get exposed to lots of things. Right. right. Like they right. don't know they like it. They don't even know it exists unless they see it. So That's right. just letting people see things. I think that is really important, but you know, we sh- I share a love of science and technology with my dad and I, I, yeah. you know, he, he encouraged that, which was really nice.
0: So do you think he kind of got that engineering bug at a pretty early age? It
1: sounds like, Yeah. I, <laughs> he did. I mean, he helped me with science fair projects and, you know, those kind of things. I was the only one of the children that actually became an engineer. So I think, you know, it was kind of his last hope. Maybe he was like, okay, this one, maybe <laughs> this, this one will do it, you know. <laughs> my
0: last shot. I love it. Were, yeah. you, were you a good student in school?
1: Yeah, I loved school. Uh, I love math. Uh, you know, I love uh, science. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I'm one of those people that love school. I still love school. Like I take classes. Um, You know, it's one of those things. If I was retired, I'd probably go back to school because I I really enjoy learning. I also enjoy learning in a structured, you know, environment. It's, you know, I'm just wired that way, I guess.
0: Any other activities you got involved with, sports, music, you know, class? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I was a swimmer, right? So I was captain uh-huh, okay. of the swim team and competed yeah. in swimming and diving and always a fish when I was little, right? And. Right, right you know still love that and um music you know i love music so much mm. and played piano you, guitar, play? yeah. music piano. Yeah. 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 yeah was in bands you know did that whole thing um I, I tell people and this really it's really true there was a point in my life where i had to decide am i gonna go be a rock star or am i gonna go be an electrical engineer <laughs> and the practical <laughs> side of me yanks.
0: There's the yin and yang again, right? It is some (laughs) influence there.
1: I love that. Yeah, I'm I'm very practical, pragmatic, and so I opted for the engineer. Always thinking, well, maybe sometime I can, you know, go be uh, go be a rock star later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And uh, uh, what about entrepreneurial things? Were there things that you did that you know kind of created some extra spending money growing up, or was that not one of your goals?
1: Oh my gosh. So, you know, the entrepreneur thing is very interesting because we, you hear this debate are people, do they learn to be an entrepreneur or right. are they born an entrepreneur? Right. And I, right. I very much believe, at least in my case, I was born to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I, I had businesses from the time I could remember. I mean, no I did like it, everything. I, I,
0: of I, I mean,
1: I sold things. It, what was funny is you didn't have the internet, right? You didn't have all these things. Right. So there were magazines sure. and in the back of magazines, there'd be these little ads, you know, right. that you right. could mail away for some I remember one was a perfume making kit that you could make your own perfume and sell perfume. And one was like a soap making kit. And then, of course, you'd try to draw the little figurine and maybe become a, an artist. And I, I did all kinds of things in the neighborhood. We had huge fruit trees. Our backyard was just an mm-hmm. orchard. And wow. we had this big pomegranate tree. And so I would, you know, pick all the fruit. And I had a fruit selling business. I would, you know, um, a, a neighbor had... Uh, chicken and eggs so I sold their eggs as a business I mean I did I did I was always having a business I mean from you know really like kindergarten on up and and so when people started that debate with me like oh are you born an entrepreneur nobody told me to do that you know nobody showed me how to do that it was just instinctual and I was just driven to do it and I I really you know, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My kids are entrepreneurs. I, I, I have to believe that there's some it, DNA there. Th- there's definitely. DNA there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: I love it. Well, what'd you do with all that extra pocket money then? Was there uh, some special vices you had growing up? <laughs> did you, it was mom and dad's so you had to put it away for college? Yeah. You know, where
1: did it yeah, you know it, it's funny. I I found a way to spend most of it. I mean, I had, you know, I had <laughs> a big album too. collection and a, and a turntable. And, ah, and you know, right, that was one right, of the bigger... Of bigger things i I have i have to tell you about this one it was very funny so marbles were very popular in elementary school and my um neighbor uh had the you know he had a job where he repaired televisions like he drove he took a train to some like san francisco or something and he worked for some television repair place and i saw in his garage he had these steel ball bearings and You know, those were like the most valuable kind of marble thing you could get. So I gave him money and I said, can you go buy me some of those? You know, can you bring me back some of those? And I would take him to school and I would literally go to school in the morning with my pockets filled with marbles and ball bearings. (laughs) And I would come back with my pockets filled with money. I mean, it was so (laughs) fun. And the school, one day I was sitting in class and they announced, you know, they were were banning marbles from the school because parents were complaining that their kids were losing all their money at school and i just like i sunk down in my chair like "Hmm, i wonder what that's about you know
0: talking about me are they (laughs) that's funny I love it. That's great. So uh, you went on to the University of Utah, right? Got your Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Tell us about the selection of that school because, you know, growing up in the Bay Area, you know, you've got Berkeley, you've got Stanford, you've got a lot of very strong engineering backgrounds. So what, what encouraged you to go there?
1: That is a very specific story. So I, Hmm. um, you know, I would have loved to have gone to a a number of schools right there's a bunch of great schools and in fact i had uh really great grades and had offers to go to a lot of schools and yeah. and i knew you know i had selected engineering um you know a long time before i was applying to schools but when my dad retired from nasa he wanted to move out of the barrier area and we ended up moving to salt lake because You know, we wouldn't agree to go all the way to the Midwest, which is where he was from. So it was kind of a compromise, you know, because my mom was from Salt Lake and, you know, her mom was ill. And so we said, okay, we'll move there. And I was the last one home. And but but by the time I was getting close to entering college, my dad had cancer. And we were very close. I mean, I was really, really close to my dad. And he died before I entered college. And my mom was alone. And so I opted to go to the University of Utah because I, you know, I had an offer there. I had an offer at a lot of places. But for me throughout my career... Uh, my schooling, everything—I've really made a number of choices where it was family first and not mm. me first, and I don't uh-huh. regret any of those mm. at all. Uh, and um, you know, it would have been great to go to you know a different school, but University of Utah was a wonderful engineering school, and I got a great education. And um, you know,
0: I no regrets.
1: Yeah, no regrets. I worked really yeah. hard. I learned a lot, and you know, if I didn't take that path, I wouldn't be, you know, I've had all the experiences I've had to date. So, uh, you know, you, for me, putting family first has always been the right, uh, the right answer. And I've never regretted that.
0: Yeah. So, so you got your EE, um, dad had his, so was that kind of a natural choice for you? Had you decided even before you went to college, you wanted to study engineering?
1: Oh, yeah. I I had selected, (laughs) I selected electrical engineering in like elementary school seventh grade Um, yeah it was it was very early because i and i don't know which grade it was but i remember the number one choice was a forest ranger and um and then because i love the outdoors and then number two choice was engineer because you know my dad i had seen engineering and so we took at that time they had these aptitude tests and they were kind of career you know help you figure out what you want to be when you grow up and i took this this test, and it, and I, you know, you put your, what you're interested in, you know, and it said, one, I had aptitude for engineering, which was great, but then mm. it said, you know, a forest stranger. You make like you know five dollars a year, and an engineer you make like fifty dollars a year, and I'm thinking, yeah. wait a minute, you know, yeah, I don't yeah, know about and then in, part gets
0: <laughs> <in>. <laughs>
1: But it was interesting too because it also was like you know, forest stranger. The job is kind of solitary, and you're yeah. maybe out and and I really do love people. So right then it was like, okay, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm not going to yeah. be a forest stranger. But yeah, that's not good but I time. yeah, I had always sort of targeted the Northwest to move to because right. I thought. There's all those trees and it's beautiful. And it was, it was interesting. I did end up there, um, you know, later. Right. Yeah. Uh, So got to combine the trees and the engineering.
0: There you go. (laughs) Awesome. You went on to get your master's. Now, did you do that right after you got your undergrad or was there some work in between?
1: Uh, well, I did start my master's at university of Utah. I started a full-time engineering job, uh, locally at, um, a company called Sperry it was a defense products oh, company sure. really yeah. you know high tech system never at that never. time yeah. and for many decades um you know the military engineering systems were way you know they were much farther advanced than the commercial um right. you know commercial systems and Today, I'm sure there are technologies, of course, that are more advanced, but the, the commercial industry just has driven so hard and so fast and, you know, right. technology is taken off. But at that time, all the cool stuff was happening in the military uh, <laughs> systems. And so, uh, and a professor that I had worked there, and so he had hired me um, and, and a couple of other people as you know as engineers when we graduated and again i had the option i had multiple job offers when i when i graduated uh, and opted again because my mom was there to to stay, stay there yeah. yeah to stay local and I, I i almost finished my master's degree and then um i got an opportunity to go back to the bay area uh-huh. and uh, by this time my brother had moved into the area so he could you know kind Pick of take the, the reins right for yeah, my mom yeah, and so yeah. i moved back to the bay area and i basically repeated all of my master's oh, work gosh. uh but it was okay <laughs> you know i yeah. i went to santa clara university which my sisters had gone to and it was kind of a low you know it's a beautiful Great campus school. oh it's private, so, private school it's yeah. a private school it's yeah. a just a you know it's an old um mission it's a Jesuit group. school, right? Yeah, it's a Jesuit school, but it's you know it's an old Spanish mission, and it's just a beautiful campus. And it was nearby, yeah. right? Um, I again, I had that practical. I I, w- I had um applied to both Stanford and Santa Clara, but I I didn't follow through on my Stanford application because uh, where I worked, I worked full time through school. Right. um it they had at santa clara they had a program that accommodated a working you know awesome. professional yeah. so they had all the classes between like seven and nine in the morning and yeah. stanford was kind of the opposite they didn't want you to work they had all their classes you know 120 and 330 and 10 15 and it just would have been right. so difficult so um y- you know in that case it was more of just a practical
0: sure.
1: um
0: Decision. You know, yeah, practical yeah.
1: decision, yeah.
0: When was the uh, the first job when you started managing people, Mary?
1: Uh, that you know, I didn't start managing people until I went to Macaw Cellular. So okay. I had yeah. worked you know, in Utah, Sperry, and then I moved to Stanford Telecom and the Bay Area, and then I moved to um, Macaw Cellular up in Kirkland, Washington. And yeah, it was I brought
0: you up to the Pacific Northwest, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I went to Pacific Northwest. It, it really that was a fun and exciting journey. And I started by managing projects, major projects, multiple companies involved, and then um, and then moved into having you know direct reports and managing right.
0: people what were some of those early leadership lessons you learned?
1: You know, it was funny. One thing I would do, I, I, because of the area that I worked at Macaw, I, I was kind of part of this little team that would evaluate, uh, you know, partnerships and kind of these, these big technology things that would come through. And so, oh, yeah. you know, Craig Macaw would get an inbound or, you know, somebody, and then, you know, people would, would come through and they're, Like, should we be doing this or not doing this? And so I had the opportunity to see a lot of CEOs come through. And Mm -hmm. um, I would always really study them and mm. try to figure out what, why is it that this person is the CEO? Because I always wanted mm. to be a CEO. Like I set the goal early on. I, you know, VP by 30, CEO by 40, you know, like I, I, I'm a goal setter. <laughs> is you know, when you were
0: in sixth grade? Is that when you're
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know when the CEO thing happened, but it, it's been there Absolutely. for as long as I can remember. Right. Yeah. I, I just yeah. like to be in charge. Right. And yeah. um, I, I, I like to have kind of the view of everything I can and be able to, Kind of optimize across those things, and right. Right. Um, you know, it's funny analyzing these CEOs that would come through. I, you know, some of them were really smart, some of them were not as smart, some of them were nice. <laughs> you know, I was that. trying to find what's the common thread with these guys. They all had really right. nice shoes. I will tell you that, <laughs> and many of them had manicured fingernails. That's where I first saw men manicuring their fingernails. I'm like, wow, these CEOs all have manicures. You know, that's that's really <laughs> interesting. But um, uh. but. Uh, you know, one thing, the and it was really the only thing, actually, that I could ever find in common with any of these guys is that they all behaved as if they should be the CEO. They mm, commanded yeah, yeah, that role. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that really stuck with me. Mm. And Because a lot of people, I think, when they're, you know, they have an opportunity or, you know, they're not quite to where they aspire to be they hold themselves back and and even when they get the opportunity they don't you know sort of lean into it and that really taught me to whatever i was doing you know to just own it right Mm. because even though you may feel a little bit apprehensive um you know people will follow if you lead
0: act as if Mm.
1: act as if and and it i man, people really do follow. And I learned that lesson really early on mm. is like, don't try to suppress it. Just lead, do your thing and yeah, people will right. follow. And right, right. Um, Or
0: they'll let you know if you're not going in the right direction. Right.
1: Oh yeah. They'll <laughs> let you know for sure. Yeah. They'd let you know. Um, but it it was interesting to watch that. Um, and it was, yeah. you know, it was over the course of the time I was there, I, I always was so fascinated with that.
0: Um, Tell us about some of the mentors you had along the way.
1: You know, I've had I've been very blessed with wonderful mentors. I've had a few really long time mentors and yeah. I will tell you that they were um mostly all men. And the yeah. reason that, was, that are males or females. Yeah, because yeah. there just weren't any women that were well, in you know, executive roles or, you know, in technology or part of the C suite that could be um, my mentor, right, and so
0: well, even in engineering, I think you were telling me back in those days in Utah you, when we talked before, you were one of the only women in yeah. the engineering classes, right? Oh yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, they yeah. all knew your name, and you didn't know very many people's names, right? <laughs> right. Um, right, but but the men that. Yeah were that mentored me all had either most of them had daughters right so they kind Uh, of were almost fatherly figures but they also had really strong relationships with their moms and so there was this you know kind of um predisposition I think yeah Yeah. Yeah. and and so I had some wonderful mentors Mm. and I think mentors are really important and um, I've then tried to be I've tried to mentor as many you know mostly women because I think it's harder for women to have senior mentors but you know uh, sometimes uh, men as well I mean I I, anyone if I can help them I try to help them right if I can encourage them particularly in STEM in education in business you know life I think it's hard for young people and you know we we kind of have an obligation in my mind to give back and help support people
0: Any specific mentoring lessons that you recall from, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago?
1: Well, one of my longest mentors um, was somebody that it was the first time I'd really seen this. And I've seen a couple of people since, but he was, you know, probably one of the best. He was so uh, calm, right? Mm. And pleasant. And he could tell you. You know, you you mess that up terribly, but just in the nicest possible way. You know, <laughs> he didn't stomp and you know throw things and and right. cuss and tell people. You know, talk down to him. I mean, he was just really pleasant and really just so even killed. And yeah. I still aspire to that. As you get older, it's a little bit easier, but you know, I'm pretty <laughs> passionate, you know, so I'll get right. both ways, you know, I, I get really intense in things. And, um, you know, I always admire that so much. And I always still try to achieve some semblance of just kind of calm, because yeah. it, it was really impressive how he could do so much with such a soft touch,
0: right? Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Now you've spent most of your career in the wireless industry. And I want to talk a little bit about that, but you know, I hadn't noticed until we were kind of just doing some research before coming on that you were actually at VR studios yeah. uh, for, 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 for a couple of years. Tell us a little bit about that experience. And, and was that a detour or a pivot in terms of your career?
1: Well, there's inflection points, right? Yeah. And so that was definitely part of an inflection point where, um, you know, I seek out knowledge. I I like to experience technologies. I mean, all, you know, when websites came out and, you know, I would sit and build my own. I I like to be hands-on. I I don't want a job necessarily that's hands-on, but I like to be able to know and feel and touch Mm. and experience products and, you know, technology firsthand. Mm. And that was at a time, you know, it, it was, you know, a little less than 10 years ago kind of thing. Um,
0: but very early days in the VR world. Yeah, right? it was very early days. And yeah, there were, yeah. you know,
1: if you talk to people that were doing VR, you know, a long time before that, there was kind of two humps in the VR world. There was really, really early VR. Yeah, and there's yeah. some people around It's like, no, that wasn't when VR started. It really started way back <laughs> when, um, which is true, right, to their credit. But the problem is, you know, there weren't, there wasn't the computing power to actually do vr the way it kind of was able uh to be done uh later and now right and so the the kind of second wave of vr that was really the early days of the second wave of vr and i had to you know i have a love of film a love of Mm. uh movies and and a love of technology and you know vr to me was like oh my gosh you know you can put all these things together and it's new technology and I had to dive into it and I, Mm -hmm. you know, I was so pleased because what I found in a lot of that industry is I could understand it right away even yeah, the most technical right. details because got it. Yeah. the electrical engineering part, you know, all of the communication theory and, you know, wave theory and all that it's uh, optics. I mean, that's what these systems are based on. So I could really go deep in understanding it like very, very quickly. And right. um, you know, all the, all it takes to build software and hardware and mass manufacture. And, you know, I mean, it just, it made it easy to step in and start driving very quickly and it's fabulous like vr is like nothing else if you if you truly replace what the eyes see and the ears hear your brain does not know a difference and so the power of that doesn't exist in that form with any other technology and so that is just super cool i mean you can do really great things you can do you know, not so great things, right? But to this day, I mean, I have, I have a VR headset, and I, you know, use it regularly. It's my uh, in my rainy day workout. Yeah, and right. um, you know, it's it's very powerful technology. So it's it's sort yes. of, you know, it's still going. But there's a lot of new technologies that have come out that um, I think are really going to influence the world. We're kind of going into a time of, of sort of hardware change, if you will. With robots and drones right. and VR and glasses right. and the evolution of a lot of things. So it's, it, it will be a part of it because it is unique in its ability to yeah. Yeah. provide uh, you know an experience to people that they don't, wouldn't otherwise have.
0: I want to take a step back and then we're going to jump forward. I want to hear more about MTI. But boy, to be in those heady days at Macaw and then kind of merge and grow into AT&T Wireless. How crazy was that?
1: It was the early Macaw days. I mean, we literally had people walk through the door. They'd hand them their plane ticket and their laptop and say, here's where you're going. <laughs> they wouldn't even make it inside the office, you know, their first day. I'm talking about their first day. Um, yep. It was just, it was the Wild West. And it was petty, so, petty oh my yeah. gosh, it was so fun. When um, it, I like to tell the story about, um, oh, you know, I would be out doing building system, doing system integration and kind of launching new technologies. And, you know, we'd work with the actual networks in the field. So you, right. you'd have to go places to do that with, you know, real customers. And, and uh, but some of that was really early where people didn't, you know, cell phones weren't common. Most people right. had never even seen one. That's and right. I remember we- Were
0: the size of a brick that you couldn't carry I mean, Yeah. Around.
1: I mean, that was like <laughs> actually- better like that was when they were started, yeah, that was starting later, to get yeah, yeah it's smaller right, right. they didn't start yeah, that yeah. size they started much That's bigger true. and yeah. we um you know we had done the system integration in the bay area this was actually in the bay area and went to a restaurant like to have breakfast and of course all the people on the team had a phone because you know you're working for a phone companies and you're building phone technology but nobody right. else really had one at that point in time and the um, server had set the ticket down uh, and we were waiting for them to come pick it up, and you know, it, they had the name like they would sign. You know, thank you right, so much, you know, right. Judy or whatever. Right. And so right. we we called the restaurant and asked for the server and <laughs> and said, uh, "Oh yeah, we're we're back here in the back. We're waiting for you to come <laughs> pick up the ticket." And she came walking around with just this most shocked look Looked on, her, on face. her face, and we all just <laughs> fell out of the boat, just cracking up. I mean, but you know. That's
0: that's what it was like in those days. <laughs> that's right? what it was new, like, right? New just, technology. Yeah,
1: right? just being able to I experience and you yeah. know build new yeah. things. I I tell tell people, you know, I like zero to fifty. I like all throughout my whole career. Basically, I've always worked on things that have never been done before, and that's right. what's really yeah. fun. It's just do it. and there's a lot of risk in that because sometimes you know, yeah. hey, it's it's too expensive or too hard or people don't won't adopt it, but it's really fun. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's really fun.
0: So let's skip ahead. Tell us what attracted you to MTI, because that's a good segue. What's what's new and different and fun that, that had you come in? You actually came in as COO first, right, before you came right. to yeah,
1: yeah, I was brought in to kind of um, look into some things to help. Maybe I can, can, can help deal with a few things with the company. And yeah. what I found is um, it really touched on everything all pieces of my experience and and all of these areas that i loved and you know that included building a great company culture you know hardware software service products so a lot of um uh you know different types of products and i've worked on a lot of different types of products uh radio uh mobile uh industry pieces of it as well manufacturing and um you know, and building a team, and managing a team, mm. and leading a team, and a go-to-market strategy that's going to be, um, you know, effective uh, both relative to what you have to offer, but but marries up as um, well as you can with the customers, yeah. right? You you really yeah. like you want to build things that customers really want to buy and yeah. that they're really happy to have, right? And right. so right. I think the opportunity for MTI to do that um, it is really real. Right. And, and doing new things, right. So putting together technologies where you're doing things that have never been done before. Right. And so that, that was super attractive. And yeah. the people above all are, they just have so much heart like the team, yeah. the MTI team is just, you know, they're people you want to be with and work with and hang out with because, um, you know, it's just a great, you know, it's a company full of great people
0: you operate in what almost 100 countries is it mostly B2B in terms of your service tell, tell us a little bit about you know what the services you provide your customers
1: yeah so we are a B2B company right mm-hmm. and and most of my career a lot of my career is B2B or B2B to C you're always doing something for somebody right. that's not right. serving the end consumer okay. and uh, MTI started you know it's a 45 year old company headquartered in Hillsboro mm-hmm. Oregon uh, just down the street from big Intel campus and Uh, You know, started with hardware merchandising fixtures. And if you fast forward to today, those are really pretty sophisticated IoT, you know, wireless connected um, devices that help uh, secure products, it helps allow uh, people to be able to access and control access to products, mm. and um, uh, largely in retail, but also in healthcare. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, that the combination of the system that we're building and selling, and, you know, it's getting out there in the world, uh, the adoption's been wonderful uh, on the software and hardware side, it doesn't exist, right? Like mm-hmm. the space mm-hmm. that we're filling is new territory, and it's part of, you know, the overall world transforming digitally so a very simple example is you think of all the metal locks and keys out there in the world i mean really right. and what one of the things that we're doing is we're replacing those with mm. you know iot connected devices um cool. that allow you to you know see what's going on to control to have that data you know everything's about yeah. data and so that's really fun. And it's all over the world. It's for a lot of big, amazing companies the you know, household brands. So that's, that's really exciting. And um, we also have a- another part of the company, which is a global services organization. So we have uh, field technicians in every state of the mm. country and Canada and Mexico uh, partner network throughout the world. And we go out and, you know, fix things and install things and yeah, and, cool. and service things and including our own products, but also beyond that. So we're like a fully self-contained, you know, idea to uh, total life of a product for a customer. So you're able to really, really provide a complete solution um to your customers and that's pretty cool because it it you know if you make it easy you know that's the goal right make it as easy as possible for them
0: right and then you get engagement and then they comes very sticky and they never leave right those principles uh, well that's a goal yeah (laughs) yeah how many employees how many employees Mary? uh
1: we have (laughs) you know six to seven hundred it kind of goes up and down depending on you know staffing projects but um the, Most the of them region.
0: in Oregon, or do you have offices in other uh, you know, we have, locations and uh,
1: countries? We have offices throughout the world. The largest um, mm-hmm. concentration of employees is in the Hillsboro area, but there's yes. about, you know, 150 of those, uh, you know, kind of spread around this area. And then, and then, of course, you know, multiple people throughout uh, the United States, we have a, a pretty substantial office in Ireland. We have a, a nice team in the UK. We have a team in Hong Kong. We have a small R&D office in, in Salt Lake. And, and cool. of course, like a lot of companies, we have a, a lot of people that work remotely. They don't have, they're not close to a home
0: office. Sure, sure. And perhaps a, a lot more so, I think, since the pandemic as well, right? Has did you, did you, your workforce grown more remote over this last couple of years?
1: Yeah, it's really, you know, that is a topic that every CEO just kind of pauses and goes, we are managing through that because there are, you know, there are benefits to the employee and even to the company for remote work, but there's definitely, you know, things that you miss out if you're not together. And of course we build things, we, we make hardware. So there's a big part of our um, workforce that, and they they, actually, you know, you and can't do it. that work remotely. You can't go no. fix equipment from your couch, right? You That's can't, right. you That's know, right. assemble electronics from, you know, uh, your living room or your den. You have right. to be physically here. So, and so then there's also that balance, you know, how, to, how do you sure. make it equitable? Um, yeah. But we, we've we probably like every company, you know, at one point we had to send everybody home, right? So everything had to right. be remote except the factory. And we, we maintained operation through all of COVID because we, we built essential equipment. And um, so, you know, it's, it's sort of unprecedented, right? And you just, you make decisions in the best way you can to serve your employees and to serve your customers. And, you know, as a CEO, you're, you're conscious of serving your shareholders as well. And that has been a fluid and dynamic situation. So we continue, you know, I think to try and figure out what,
0: you know, what's the right answer. Right. Yeah. So you've been a couple of years now in the chief executive officer slot. How would you say your leadership style has evolved since you've become CEO?
1: How has it evolved? Well, it has necessarily evolved as a result of COVID, right? So two weeks into the company. Uh, you know, the governor of Oregon said, we're shutting everything down. So, I mean, for a company that has, you know, a big part of their business is people going out and touching things or selling to retailers who are now shut down or to quick serve restaurants who are now shut down. It was a dramatic, you know, set of events to shock. Yeah. Yeah. So the journey as CEO for MTI has, has offered uh, the ability, you know, the opportunity to uh, deal with a lot of different things. We, we've dealt with, of course, you know, the, all of the implications of COVID. And, and there's follow-on, right? The supply chain challenges and workforce challenges and now, you know, oil prices. And so it's been kind of a never-ending you know think on your feet and take in data and figure out you know what's the best way to go separately from that we've been able to you know do digital transformation and a lot of not pivoting but really positioning the company to um, to just grow to really take advantage of all the assets and some of that didn't exist before COVID right so COVID has changed the world for retailers and you know so it's it's leaning into what may be new opportunities as a result of how the world has changed or, or, or accelerated. I mean, I think they were there all along, but they really got more accelerated by COVID Um, in terms of my personal style. I mean, I'm just always trying to be better and Mm. I'll be the first to admit I'm imperfect. We are all imperfect. And, and this has given me, you know, an opportunity to just interact with, a lot of different people and learn from them right and right. i'm always learning from our customers and from our yeah. employees and um i'm always inspired right? I'm, right I'm inspired especially by people that are just you know they're just so dedicated to the customer i mean it just is really right. cool to you know be a part of that team and yeah. um you know awesome. there's just always you know i can just always do better for sure
0: Mary, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire at MTI?
1: Mm. One thing I really try to look for is their nature. You know, are mm. they positive and problem solving or are they sitting back and kind of cynical and negative and complaining, right? Yeah, so that's right, a that's right. a, just a hard no for me is, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because that's going to, be the foundation of everything and you want people that are just supporting each other all in driving um you know passionate one of the one of the questions i like to ask people if i i like to ask a couple of open-ended questions one of them is just what are you passionate about i don't specify Mm. work i don't specify home it's just an open-ended question and it's so interesting to hear people will immediately there's a just kind of a gut reaction and it and you get that you know, what they're passionate about, but you also get sort of this amplitude, like how passionate are they, depending on how <laughs> they answer that question. And you'll get people that'll just oh, like, God. immediately just jump right in and you can tell that they just have like that fire in their belly about yeah. things. And yeah. um, so it's a really interesting, uh, it's an interesting question. And I've asked that question to, you know, probably hundreds of people at this point. And, yeah. um, it, you know, so so passion, you know, energy, like positive yeah you know right. supportive i want to win energy right yeah
0: yeah yeah it's hard to find right and it's and it's hard to kind of get to an interview environment i love the asking the question about what they're passionate about do, do you have another favorite question that you ask when you interview?
1: yeah i'll i'll often ask so how did we get here why are you sitting mm. in front of me talking to me today yeah. you right. know and right. it, it's that journey um you know that got us to that conversation so it's it's interesting the way people you know i another one i like to ask people is tell me your story Mm -hmm. right like i just want to hear what's your story because i i truly am interested in everybody's story and it will often you know it's not the story itself it's how they tell it and what they yeah yeah, what they emphasize and what they you know, kind of fall into as they're telling that because it's really about the person. I mean, you can teach people new skills. Yeah, it's great. If you, you need particular industry experience, but it's the great, you know, team member, the great, you know, somebody you want to work alongside and with on these things. It's always about what's inside of them as a human being that differentiates, you know, um, differentiates sort of a great, a great team member from somebody who's, you know, maybe not going to last so long.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mary, we're just about out of time, but we do ask our CEO guests one last question and mm-hmm. that's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe in the elementary school area or <laughs> junior high has his or her eye on the, on the corner office? And you know, what, what would you tell them, particularly our, our, our women listeners?
1: Yeah, f- especially for women. And I would even, um, you know, I I would even do this more than I did, you know, in my journey is to take risk, right? Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid Uh, because, you know, often when I'm mentoring women, I'll say, look, you, nobody is going to tell you about your career and what you, no company is going to say, Hey, you should be doing this or that, or, you know, you have to get in the front seat behind that wheel decide where you're going press on the gas and go there and don't be afraid to do that you know if if it's someplace that looks a little scary just do it anyway because the people that really succeed um are the ones that are willing to challenge themselves and to do hard things and to do things they've never done before and you know you will often fall down you're not going to do something perfectly the first time you're you know maybe it's not the right thing and it, it but but you learn so much, and that's how you really accelerate your progression. And it's true for—I think it's true for everybody. But I think women are inherently—it's diff, more difficult for women, um, for whatever reason, right? They—they, they, um, you know, maybe the environment or whatever. But I did that a lot, but I still wished yeah. I'd have done it even more, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. definitely Great that. Counsel.
0: Love it, Mary Jesse, CEO of MTI Mobile Technologies Inc. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroy.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.